This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, the managing editor of saltcityhoops.com, the website for which this show is named. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Zach Harper is in Los Angeles this week. I don't even know why, but whatever, he is. He's doing important stuff, I'm sure, or or just sunbathing. I It could be anything. Uh, <laughs> but regardless, we have a solid replacement the latest addition to the Salt City Hoops team, his name is Spencer Wixom, uh, great overall jazz member of the community. We're happy to have him on board, and we thought we'd give him a shot at this whole radio thing. So, Spencer, welcome. Thanks, Andy. I'm really excited to be here. I uh, kind of feel like the the rookie trying to fill the role of the legend, so basically I'm the Brandon Ingram of the the podcast today trying to fill in for zach harper so that's that's reasonable yeah you're in what way are you brandon ingram or just the i talk hoops is the kobe bryant is what you're saying yeah he's the legend so come in he he also likes to chuck shots so okay so uh okay makes some sense i like it (laughs) i i'm gonna ask zach about the talk the the kobe uh comparison and see what he (laughs) see what he thinks we'll send him a text right now okay (laughs) uh Anyway, it's actually a pretty solid off-season show uh, for you guys today. We've got the Jazz and the NBA schedule was released today. Uh, we'll talk about that, looking at how the Jazz's schedule lines up for them uh, with back-to-backs, road and home trips, um, easy stretches, hard stretches coming up for the Jazz. Um, we may talk a little bit about what road trip I should go on this season. <laughs> we'll do some Andy trip planning. I don't know if we'll actually do that. Uh, Spencer, you did a terrific article, your, your debut article for Salt City Hoops on the proposed, uh, rotation, each, uh-huh. the number of uh, minutes per game each player should get and kind of how that substitution pattern should work out for the Utah Jazz next season. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll do our usual in or out, um, segment, everybody's favorite. We'll talk about the Olympic games. There are a lot of storylines going on there with NBA players and non-NBA players alike. From Carmelo saving the United States with 31 points against Australia in a 10-point victory that was actually a lot closer than that. Uh, Spain struggling pretty badly. We'll bring uh, the standings, results to you uh, from today's action and kind of talk about what we've seen from the United States and and the Jazz's players so far. And of course, we'll go around the NBA as we do every week. Um, as always, this is a social social show, so please join us in the conversation. If you have any questions about anything at all, especially Jazz or uh, NBA related, but if you want to ask us about, I don't know, uh, road signs, you can as uh, you can as well. I don't know why you would want to do that, but you can. You can tweet us at Andy B Larson or at Jazz Jargon. How did you choose That's at me. Jazz Jargon, by the way? Oh, man, I don't even know. I had a really stupid Twitter name before that, (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't related at all, so I wanted something that brought in jazz to show what I really focus on and what I tweet on on a daily basis. I like it. Uh, So you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Jazz Jargon, or you can call us 877-353-0700. Uh, yeah, let's get let's get right into it though. So, Jazz schedule released at three forty-five Mountain Time today. 
Um, I got a sneak peek at it at like 325 and then bombarded everybody's timeline with the like first few games until mm-hmm. I figured I was annoying enough people <laughs> that it wasn't worth it. Uh, the, the ratio of people who followed me because of the information that they were getting was less than what was, was smaller than you would hope the, the many more people unfollowed me as a result of just tweeting so many times about the 82 game schedule. Uh, it, you know, the jazz once again, this year will play all 30 NBA teams in, uh, some order and 82 games, 82 games again this year. Uh, I'm actually Everyone's pro a shorter schedule. I love the 82-game schedule. I like the number of basketball games that we get to see as NBA fans. It, it seems like a lot more fun than, say, the NFL, where you know you only get to see your team 16 times a year if uh, you're Eight unlucky. at home. Right. I mean, yeah. No, I agree. I, I like having the 41 games you get at home, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Maybe stretching the schedule out a little to give players a little more time. And they have I, gone that way this year. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz's first game and the NBA season opening day is October 25th this year. You know, mm-hmm. pr- that's probably about uh, half a week to a week earlier than it's been in years past. Um, trying to get the schedule stretched out a little bit more. You'll notice that the Jazz only have six preseason games this year instead of eight, which they've had in years past. Again, that's kind of uh, a little bit easier that way. So you can, again, stretch it out more have fewer back-to-backs the jazz have 16 back-to-backs this season that's or sorry 17 back-to-backs this season that's one fewer less than last year and uh yeah we've got an exciting home schedule coming up for the jazz too yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun there's so many good teams in the west this year it's right. gonna be really competitive so basically every night should be a fun game let me tell you about some highlights uh from this jazz schedule first of all the one everyone wants to know is is the golden state warriors uh, and unfortunately, the Jazz only play them once here in Salt Lake City this year. They've just played them, quite frankly, four times a year, pretty much every year since like '04 or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's not a crazy surprise to see the Jazz kind of getting the short end of the stick from a viewership point of view. I guess the other way to look at it, though, is you don't have to play the best team in the league four times as many times as the rest of the West, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, it seems like Kevin Durant torches the Jazz at the Vivint Smart Home Arena, so maybe it's a good thing from that standpoint. You uh, don't get to see the super team, but uh, they one less game against them is, is always good. Yeah. Uh, then we've got... Uh, the other cool thing is this national TV schedule. Last year, the Jazz had three scheduled... Um, nationally televised games on TNT and ESPN. Two of those were actually moved. Mm-hmm. Um, one was canceled outright, the TNT game. So it ended up only being two nationally televised TV games for the Jazz. And uh, this year they have seven, all of them taking place here in Salt Lake City. It, it shows that uh, ESPN is excited to see the team. I think there's there's been a lot of national buzz about this team, almost to the point where I'm uncomfortable uh, but th- a lot of people are really excited to watch the Jazz, and and I really like this. I, I think you could see maybe even more as if the things get close down the stretch in the playoff run. Uh, so it, it could be exciting. The other thing is that uh, TNT and ESPN are showing more NBA games than they have in years past. You know, with the with the new TV deal of twenty four billion dollars, billion with a B, they want to get their money's worth, and and rightfully so. So TNT is going to be starting to show Monday games, uh, what they call rivalry games on Monday nights, and then uh, ABC and ESPN are doing the weekend primetime games, showing games uh, Saturday nights as well as Sunday afternoons. So. 
Um, the the upshot of this is that there are more opportunities for teams to get on national TV than maybe there were two years ago. I'm all for this. I think that uh, Adam Silver's tried to make a lot of uh, play to, to increase the market share of the NBA, and so I think this is a good way to do that. Get it on TV where everyone can see it. Uh, I think it really helps grow the audience. A lot of people, I think, will be surprised in other markets as they see the Jazz play on national TV and and say, who's this team? Where are they coming from? But I think it's really exciting to to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, and you, you kind of look at how that compares against some of the other teams uh, in the West. And you know, teams like the Spurs, the Warriors obviously have a, a lot of the, the Thunder. Obviously, have a lot of national televi- nationally televised games, and rightfully so. You know, no one wants to miss the first Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook matchup, for example. Uh, but you look at like uh, uh, Dallas, for example. Dallas only has thirteen televised games, where the Jazz have sixteen nationally televised games. Uh, Portland has twenty three. Maybe people want to see Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum more than they have uh houston has 22 games i don't know if i want to watch the houston rockets ever quite frankly but uh, maybe uh national tv viewers disagree well they must not like defense but (laughs) if you like watching all offense no defense and you're gonna love them but but i'm i'm kind of with you i'm i'm not that excited to watch this team because i think it's gonna be atrocious on defense especially in this team being the houston rockets yeah yeah i uh, Agreed. I mean, I I don't see how this is a complete tangent, but I don't see how they're like significantly better than last season. Uh, I, I mean, at I least think they're better offensively, but right. But there's no way they're remotely as good on defense. And right. You add in a coach and Mike D'Antoni, whose teams have all been offensive minded, anyways. I I'm a little worried for him in that sense. Uh, the, the home road split is a little bit weird too. So there are two five game road trips this year. One at the very, very beginning of the season in in early November, the jazz go on a five game road trip out East, uh, playing the Knicks and the Sixers. And, and uh, I believe the wizards on that trip as well. And then, uh, Knicks, Sixers, Hornets, magic, and heat. Ah, thank you. So those five teams, I guess, uh, the Hornets are technically, Oh, I'm, I do this every single time. Do you still do this? I, I can't be the only one that when someone says the Hornets, I think New Orleans rather than uh-huh. Charlotte. Yep, it's all the time. Not it's not my fault. World, it probably is my fault. <laughs> the only thing that I can defend myself with, by the way, did did you take that uh, BuzzFeed logo quiz that yes. was going around? I so, saw you retweet that and took it. Yeah, that was so. Check this out on my timeline again at Andy B Larson. But there's this awful BuzzFeed quiz. That compares the two, that compares every 30 teams' logos, and they have the right version, and then they have the uh, wrong version that's wrong by like one teensy tiny detail that's hard to recognize at first. And you don't know which one of them is right. I got 29 out of 30 right because I'm an insane lunatic person. What did you do? I got 22. 22? You are like, you are a, a NBA writer. You like follow the league more. (laughs) <laughs> more carefully than like 95% of the people out there and you got 22 out of 30 on this stupidly hard quiz. Well, it's like the logos, the differences are like there's four stars instead of three. I mean, it it, it was really tough. John, you're taking the quiz now? Okay, you, you got the link? I, I want to hear how you did. And I also want to hear, by the way, how like the hardest logos too. Which ones are, which ones you get wrong? So anyway. I think the Spurs is the hardest one. 
So, uh, so watch out for that one. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll have John take the online quiz. We'll do other online quizzes later on in the show from Cosmo. No, just kidding. We, we won't. Sorry, John. We, I promise we won't make you do that. <laughs> uh, back to the schedule quickly. Uh, the other five-game road trip, and we mentioned the one in November. There's also one in January as well. Um, that one's kind of a, a central time zone trip, if you will. I mean, you've got the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, but then you go to Minnesota and Memphis as well. Is Memphis Eastern and time zone? And the Raptors. Uh, oh, and the Raptors, excuse me. Sorry, so. I skipped that one. Okay, so <laughs> three to four of those teams are in the Eastern time zone, and I've lied to you all again. But, oh well. It's a weird trip, but... And, That's a fun one. Like uh, Two okay. of those are back-to-back, by if, the way. If we're doing Andy road trip planning here... New York, Boston, Toronto is not Oof. a bad little like grouping of cities to go to. Oh, not at all. Now, it is a bad little grouping of cities to go to on January 2nd, 3rd, and 5th. But <laughs> overall, like that's that's not a bad one. What are I mean, I I this Phoenix Dallas one in mid-January might be a nice one to go on for yeah. the opposite reason. Yeah, that would be a nice one, get a break of the the cold winter. Yeah. Um Oh, man. Portland, okay. In April, the Portland-Golden State trip would be a lot of fun. That would be nice. Uh, You've got... Let's see. I mean, the, the first road trip wouldn't be bad either. Which one's that? The, so the first road the trip. five-game road trip? Yeah, the five-game road trip. Hit up New York and then follow that up with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is great, by the way. Like We just met a whole bunch of Philadelphia 76ers people from the Utah Jazz Summer League, so we could talk to our, our friends Charlie Widows and, and oh, yeah. Christian Crosby and those great guys. That'd be I'm in. Yeah, I, I went to Philadelphia for the first time this year as well. well uh, tell me really about fun. Philly. Should I? Is, is it a good place to go? Oh, yeah, it actually really is. I, I think it gets a bad rap, but I, okay. I had a lot of fun in Philadelphia. There's a lot of historical things to see, awesome food. Uh, it it was a nice place. Okay, so uh, New York, Philly, Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami. What if? Uh, I mean, that trip is pretty great. I I don't know if I can justify a five city plane hopping trip though. <laughs> we'll see. That, what's what's that in the Salt City Hoops budget? <laughs> we may have to find that out as well. Yeah. Uh, quick quick search says that it's actually zero dollars. All right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Then they also have a five-game. We'll home start stand. a GoFundMe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no one, no one wants to pay for my travel. Nobody cares that much. They do I've have a five-game homestand in December, uh, December sixth through the sixteenth. That's the Suns, the aforementioned Warriors game, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, and Dallas. You kind of look at their uh, home schedule with eleven home games in that month, and that is probably the best time when they can. If they stay healthy, unlike last year's December, they can really have a chance to kind of rack up some wins. Yeah, I mean, I think you count every Golden State game as a loss. Uh, but beyond that, you've got some teams that say Dallas might be harder to beat it away, but you have them at home. Uh, same with Thunder. Uh, I think it gives you a nice advantage through that stretch. We have some questions on Twitter, by the way. Ooh. At Riley O'Brien, or at Riley O'Jazz, real name Riley O'Brien, who do you guys think is the most likely to be an all-star next year uh, amongst Exum, Hood, Lyles, or Favors? In order, please. You're so demanding, Riley, Oof. and yet we'll still take it. Uh, and I take it back. He didn't say next year, so I'll, I guess, all-star overall, who's going to be the most likely? Exum, Hood, Lyles, or Favors? I'm going to start with most likely to be an all-star in his career. I'm going Derek Favors, number one. 
Because I, he's pretty close as is. Like, I, I think he eventually gets one. If Like, if he were in the Eastern Conference next year, I think he's very close to an all-star candidate. Uh, if he improves at all in you know the next 10 years of his NBA career, I think he's a legitimate all-star candidate. He's the closest one to being an all-star right now, and I'll, I'll take those odds over kind of the improvement odds of anybody else, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, okay. he's one of the better two-way players in the NBA. Uh, all right. So who you got next after <laughs> favors? Uh, so you have to choose between Dante X and Rodney Hood or Trey Lyles, according to this game Riley O'Brien just made up for us. I'd go Rodney Hood. Uh, oh, I think for the same reasons, like he's kind of the, again the closest to being an All Star. Yeah, no, I think I could see a scenario where, and I can't necessarily see this with the other two, but I could see a scenario where Rodney Hood has a twenty point per game season. He just yeah. gets really hot, has a twenty point per game season, three assists, three rebounds, and and leads a team to the playoffs. So I, I think he could be it. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Again, kind of closest to being an all-star right now. If he got the ball in his hands, if he were on the Sixers, I, I don't know that he's an all-star, but he's their leading scorer. How about this terrible scenario? Say he, say Gordon Hayward leaves and all of a sudden yeah. Rodney Hood becomes the main scorer. No, that's a very good point. If, if uh, Gordon Hayward leaves, he's kind of the guy to take over unless, you know, you sign someone to replace him, but that seems yeah. kind of unlikely. Uh, you're you're absolutely right. That's kind of a realistic scenario to get Rodney Hood an All Star game. After that, for me, it's Dante Exum. Uh, because of his skill set, um, uh, we haven't seen that offensive skill set. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, except for in yeah, three quarters of one summer league game. Any offense, yeah. But if he becomes a player that he was in his draft scouting reports, uh, and I think that's ultimately more likely than like Trey Lyles getting basically being good enough defensively that he gets the playing time and the offensive opportunities to be an all-star. That being said, Trey Lyles is so young. I, uh, do you I'd agree go Lyles. you go Lyles before Dante? I'd go Lyles. I don't, I don't hate that idea. Because I've seen flashes. I mean, I think with Exum, like you said, it's really been half of a summer league game that I've sat there and, and been able to picture it. Though, I mean, Lyles has a long way to go on defense, and, and that – that's going to be a big part of it. I mean, I think defense yeah. is being valued more and more as far as all-star Especially, votes go. Especially, like, Trey Lyles is not going to get voted as the starter of an all-star, ga- or all-star game, right? Like, he's no. Trey Lyles. He, let's be a little bit honest. Yeah, so, so it has to be a coach's pick at that point, and coaches care a lot about defense. He also has a lot harder path to starter minutes. Right. So that's the other That's issue. a good point. So you may be right. I, maybe as I'm looking at this, it's wrong because of that. Exum has more of an opportunity and if I mean the Jazz seem to think that he has that type of potential. Yeah, they absolutely do. So we haven't really seen it on the court yet. They've seen him a lot more than we have. That's so fair. that's a fair point. Uh, Caleb Searle, who I just recently ne- learned how to pr- pronounce his last name because yeah, thanks he for that. Tweeted at us to <laughs> tell us how. Uh, Caleb asks, in your opinion, is it the best to have the toughest stretch of schedule at the beginning, middle, or end of the season? I. Go, Go ahead. ahead. I, I'd say beginning. I, I like Really? Yeah, I, I just think that there's so much more time to rebound after that. Uh, you see so many teams that end up uh, fixing things as they go. So I, I kind of like getting it done with and, and having a schedule that you know is going to be easy. Because if you're having issues, you can say, hey, this is the tough part of our schedule. We'll get out of it, and then we'll be able to be in the clear. Uh, see, I, and I actually go the other way around. I'd rather have it be at the end of the season. And okay. I'll tell you why. One... 
uh, I don't know. Some of the players that you're going to be playing at the end of the season are they're more likely to be injured than at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. So uh, it goes vice versa. Some of your players might be injured. Sure. Uh, uh, but in terms of if you're playing harder teams, you kind of mm-hmm. want variants to be on your side, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You you want to have crazy things happen, and they're more likely to happen at the end of the year. Second, I, I've kind of talked to Quinn Snyder about this a little bit, and oh. one of the things he, I know, just name drop there a little bit. Uh, one of the things Ooh. he pointed out about the Jazz's end of year uh, run in 2014-15, the kind of that run after the All-Star break that got us so optimistic about the Jazz's defense and kind of their future, was that a lot of those teams were not healthy or not playing uh, to 100% effort. And I think you see that way more frequently at the end of the season than you do at the beginning of the season. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think you also have a lot more pressure at the end of the season. There, We have this mentality where the end of the season is all that matters a lot of times. And so I, I can see them them having a lot of pressure from the media in those scenarios. but I Pressure, think the sense. Jazz having a lot of pressure or the the other teams too, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah, everyone does, though. If you're playing better teams that already have spit... Uh, playoff spots locked and everything, then it may not be an issue. And yeah, I mean, to me, like the Jazz play hard enough um, all season long. Like mm-hmm. that hasn't really been that big of a problem in the non-Ty Corbin Jazz years. Uh, and I think, and even during the Ty Corbin Jazz years, let's be nice to Ty a little bit. Uh, it wasn't awful. You know, you yeah. see, you see NBA teams quit, and it's it's pretty obvious. The Jazz were never really one of those teams um, and certainly haven't been under Quinn Snyder because Quinn Snyder scares everybody he meets. Uh, But that does happen with other teams, and I think that's why you may want to play some parts of that schedule at the end of the year. Although, on the other hand, maybe your easier games, those bad teams will suck more at the end of the year. I don't know. It all probably doesn't matter that much. I think it's good for the Jazz that they... Uh, only play the Warriors three times. It's good for the Jazz that they have fewer back-to-backs. It's good for the Jazz that they only have one, four games and five nights stretch mm-hmm. this year. Um, and beyond that, whatever. Yeah, I, I think we spend too much time focusing on what well, the schedule is. We I, I, have two hours of radio to fill. No, no, I mean oh. in general as fans, <laughs> I think that we we overvalue what the schedule is. I think that it, it all evens out. I, I'm I'm kind of on the mindset of, Whatever happens, happens as far as the schedule goes. You're still going to play all the teams. You're still going to play 82 games. You just have to have the team to be prepared for whatever. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about uh, you proposed a minutes per game rotation for the Utah Jazz and a minute substitution pattern, if you will. Mm-hmm. Kind of want to talk to you. If, if you were Quinn Snyder, if you were in charge of the Jazz, how would you be subbing these players in and out? We'll talk about that. And, uh, of course, we'll do the in or out segment that we have a new sound bumper for and uh, we do every week on the Salt City Hoop Show. So that's coming up next right here on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Gotta get dip, 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 dip. Boom, boom, boom. Gotta get dip, Welcome into the uh, Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson with you. Filling in for uh, Zach Harper today is Spencer Wixom, the latest and greatest addition to the Salt City Hoops. Uh, so 
we do have like late breaking news coming into the show on Twitter, tweeted by the Utah Jazz just three minutes ago. Pretty exciting, actually. Yeah. The Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs on April 2nd scheduled to be on ABC at 1.30 p.m. Mountain Time. That is, the Jazz will be on, I don't know, Channel 4 for most people. Uh... April 2nd. I like uh, the primary NBA channel. I think that means the Jazz are one of only eight teams on ABC. Let me check that out. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams. So I guess they're one of ten teams now on ABC. But that mean, that's a, a honor that two-thirds of the league hasn't gotten. Should be really exciting, too. April 2nd, there's only, let's see, five games after that. Uh, so it's at the point where the Spurs are probably still going to be trying. They're not resting people. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz will probably be vying for, for different playoff seeds. Uh, so that should be a really fun game. Yeah. I'm I'm pro that game a lot. And uh, adds another Jazz uh, national TV game. So now yeah. they have, what is it, 17 total? That's pretty good, yeah. given that last year it was... Nine, if you count the NBA TV games, which are specious anyway. Yeah, no, I, I'm really excited about that. I think that's a great addition. Also during uh, our break, you got a question from someone on Twitter. Yeah, I did. So uh, let's see. I, it came from Adam, and I apologize for your last name here. Rylewski. Last name pronunciation is something <laughs> we do very poorly here at Salt City Hoops. It's not our forte, but Adam Rylewski uh, asked me, what are your thoughts on Paul George calling the Aussie Olympic team dirty and thoughts on dirty players in general? Okay, so... So I've got the exact I watched quote. that game, right? Okay, let's hear it. So the exact quote from Paul George, uh, he he's talking about the team, and, and his exact quote is, this team has a knack for being a little dirty. Um, so what are your thoughts? Uh, okay, so... I don't. Uh, did you watch? You watched the Australia USA game, right? Yeah. Did it seem dirty to you at any point? No. No, not at all. <laughs> like I'm... Australia was playing defense. Uh, Matthew Dellavedova has that reputation, certainly. I think Bogut does um, too. Yeah, Andrew Bogut does certainly. I didn't see anything that was dirty about what they were doing. No, I, they I... were uh, really good at passing in the interior. Uh. They didn't send the United States to the line. They sent them to the line 20, 25 fewer times than the other two teams that the U.S. has played so far. And they played pretty solid offense, especially Patty Mills. The only thing I can think of is that uh, Andrew Bogut has a tendency to set some really hard picks. Sure. Maybe, and maybe like, George ran into some of those. I, I, I don't know. But, okay, so Andrew Bogut sets moving screens. Let's start there. Like, they're this illegal, no doubt. Ever, yeah. However... They're not moving into a guy usually. Mo mm -hmm. They're moving generally side to side, right? Like to try to get in the way of the defender. And so that, I don't know, that it, it nothing seemed dirty to me. Sure, is he cheating and should be called for fouls? Yeah, I guess. But that's not, that's not dirty. That's just like stretching the limits of what the, what the FIBA referees will call. I didn't. I didn't see anything dirty in that game, and I know they have the. I. I. I don't get it. I don't really get it. What are your thoughts on players who are deemed as dirty in general? <sighs> who comes to mind when you think dirty player? Delhi Bogut. Yeah. I mean, we we've talked about it. Obviously, like John Stockton definitely had that rep mm -hmm. um, during his career with Utah Jazz. Bowen. <laughs> um, yeah, Bruce Bowen. Uh, 
nowadays, uh, probably Draymond after these playoffs. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, guys who generally are stretching every inch of the rules to get the best out of him. The the thing is, is all of those guys are very, very successful, right? Mm-hmm. You look at, like, the list of guys that outperform their standard stats and the list of quote-unquote dirty guys, and it's actually pretty similar. In fact, we talked about the dredge statistic that mm-hmm. uh, Nylon Calculus just revealed a couple of weeks ago, and it's basically looking at these play-by-play data uh, bits of information that give more information than just a standard box score does to figure out whether or not these which players are making the biggest impact on the game, plus-minus-wise. And technical fouls and flagrant fouls turned out to be a big part of have, being a successful NBA player. And I don't think that Nylon Calculus's point was that those technical fouls and flagrant fouls are good for your team. Certainly, you're giving up a free throw. But the kind of players that make those plays also are making other plays that don't get called that actually end up doing that end up helping, whether that be uh, quote-unquote toughness or if that's just like setting good screens, making those right sort of plays that end up winning them games. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with it. I think, like like you said, I think a lot of it is just players trying to stretch the limits of what the refs are going to call. And I've done that. I think we've all done that in different it, things in our we life. We play pickup basketball together. Are, uh-huh. are you doing this on Saturdays? Yep. yep. What are you doing on the pickup court <clears throat> that I can call out next time? Uh, I I think I am guilty of setting moving screens. I move with the screen often. You'll see me set take a couple steps. Yeah, after, but, but like no one's... Uh... <laughs> Exactly. No one's attacking those screens and pick up basketball no, to the to the best of their ability. <laughs> it's all very stagnant. I don't know. Dribble guy. It's not like a guy's coming off a screen and then you set a second screen that the defender's yeah. not looking for. And I get a little up, handsy at times. Okay, I mean, it just you. I don't know. I I I have a hard time with people who are deemed as dirty, especially because I think a lot of them are not dirty. I don't think they're intentionally doing things that. Give me an example. Who's someone who's deemed as dirty that, that in the NBA, not in our pickup basketball games, uh, <laughs> that's deemed as dirty but is not really? Like like Andrew Bogut, for example. I think. Okay. I, I, when I think of Andrew Bogut and people saying he's dirty, I think a lot of it is like you said, setting those screens that. I don't think that's dirty. Setting a hard screen and really taking advantage of the rules and and trying to get away with those things. I don't think that's dirty. I think something like what Draymond Green did in the playoffs and hitting people in the midsection a couple times might maybe stretch that line. But I think a lot of it's – I think we overanalyze who's dirty and who's not because I I think in the end it's just players playing their toughest and they're they're all emotional. I think we we don't realize how emotional these players get at times. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. Okay, so we're gonna do a short in or out segment before the break. Can we play the in or out sounder? By the way, that's I just we just got it last week and I we have Ooh. to do that. Green trades, uniforms, and everything else the NBA can throw at us. Are you in or are you out? We'll decide now on Salt City Hoops. So. We introduced the the logo quiz in the first segment. Let's talk about that real real quick. John, where are you on the logo quiz? I am. I'm in. I like tough quizzes. <laughs> okay. I, I like quizzes that actually are tough and not just claim to be tough yeah. and are just a waste of time. Uh, this one, uh, like you said in the first segment, anybody that missed is that is a quiz of the thirty NBA logos. You have to guess which one is right. Right. And uh, they have two that are nearly identical and one one slightly off. 
Uh, I got 22 out of 30, correct. You are a man who is paid full-time to cover sports. Is that is that accurate? Y- uh, you're you're yes. working full-time. Yes. You're, you're, you may be not paid full-time. We haven't given you yes. benefits yet, but soon. <laughs> uh, but regardless, you're a man who cares very deeply about sports, and you only got two-thirds of NBA logos right, is what you're telling me. Yeah, I've, I've seen these logos for a lot for a, a very long time, as have you and, and Spencer, and I I failed. I'm not sure if that's a 70%. I think it's just barely a 70%. I think you're good. C's get degrees. <laughs> Which one did you think was the hardest? Yeah. Uh, there were a couple on there that were... A lot of them are hard because you can't <laughs> figure out what is different between the two right. for a while. So you spend five minutes trying to decide that, and, and then you see, like, oh, crap, I'm not sure which one's right. Um, the Spurs one was tough. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a little little thing on the on the bottom of it that you're not sure if it's in the normal logo or not. Milwaukee was tough with how many uh, antlers are, are on the buck. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Portland actually got me, uh, not knowing which the white red or, or red gray. part was, yeah. Yeah. was on the uh, top or bottom. There are a couple of tough ones on there. The color of the outline in the Indiana Pacers logo. I I am also in on this quiz, uh, which you can find on my Twitter feed at Andy B Larson or on biz, BuzzFeed.com. That's a website too. Uh, <laughs> I think more people follow I, I, BuzzFeed, but than me? What? <laughs> no. Uh, Twenty nine out of thirty, though. I'm very proud uh, of that. I've I, done too many articles on NBA logos, though. I've I'm done my really research. Impressed. Uh, check out that quiz if you want. The other in or out thing we're going to do this week, and just really briefly, we did it last week, Olympic events. But since then, I have learned of new Olympic events because the Olympics have actually begun. Just during the show, for example, we've been watching badminton and fencing. I want to hear if you're in or out on... Let's start with badminton. I... I think I'm in on badminton. I'm so in. It's really actually exciting. Look, I'm in on badminton and ping pong because I have played those sports, right? Like, I know what it's like to be a badminton player. Okay, admittedly not at the Olympic level. But I can can be out there on the court with uh, our Asian counterparts and watch some quality uh, badminton. Yeah. I don't know. I I think watching him hit it that hard and... and remembering back to my PE days of trying to hit a badminton and, and, and oh man I, I'm in because it, it just blows my mind that they're that good at it how about fencing are you in or out on fencing I'm out because I have no idea what's happening see here's the thing with <laughs> fencing they've got the three different categories right they've got like the saber and the foil and whatever else okay the epee or I don't even know how you pronounce it but it's got like four uh accents on each of the four individual letters in that word oh boy um that one's the best. <laughs> the one I don't know how to say is the best because there are no rules. You can it's just whoever touches the other person with the sword first wins. And that seems okay. real to me. Like saber and foil, you can only touch them on certain places on their body. Uh if you touch their head it doesn't count or whatever. And you have to be like in the course of an attacking move. So you, like if you uh retreat and then touch them accidentally, you it doesn't count if you win. And to me, if you hit someone with your sword, regardless of whether or not they were foolish enough to attack you first, mm-hmm. you should you should win. And I, I it's honestly just easier to watch too because the yeah. rules are simpler. That's so, that's my fencing take. What what would you do to make fencing more exciting? Uh, I would. I don't know. I, remove the chainmail. Is that is that allowed? <laughs> Why do we have chainmail? Like the sword is not. It's not that spiky, right? Why don't we just make it dull? I don't know. Have you ever been hit by a stick? 
Yeah. This is a metal it's stick. Fine. That this whips. guy just dove on the ground. That's that's a pretty hard surface. We're watching <laughs> indoor volleyball right now. Um, the other sport I have a hot sports take on, and this is totally copyright deadspin uh, circuit yesterday, is that field hockey players should have longer sticks. Not only does it look ridiculous for them to like bend out and bend down at the waist for every play, but they're, as a result, the balls don't go fast enough for them to score that many goals. And it, I, I've taken physics. I know that if you have a longer stick, then you can whip it faster and you can, and you can get harder shots, right? I, centrifugal force. And it would just look a lot better if they had longer sticks. Agreed? Yeah, the club head's also really small. Yeah, why is it so, so like, why does it look like a candy cane? That's not a shot. <laughs> it's field hockey, not field golf. I'm also told that you can't hit it with the back of the stick in field hockey, which huh? is a stupid rule that doesn't make any sense. Why can't you, backhand shots are a good thing in hockey, regular nice. ice hockey. I, I just, field hockey could be a sport with so much potential, and instead it's not that much fun. Team handball, though, I'm in on that too. All right. I like handball. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's my. I think I said my team handball take take last week, so I'll yeah. save it. You can you can listen to all past Salt City Hoops podcasts on our website saltcityhoops.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you want to hear more Olympic takes for some reason, you can do that as well. You can hear about Andy's dreams of being in the Olympics. In, in oh, man, I really do want to be in the Olympics. That, that was <clears throat> that was the closest I've ever been to being an Olympian. All right, we got to take a break. On the other side, I want to hear your proposed minute rotation and uh, substitution setup next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Is this, I can't wait to play in the NBA? Ah, uh, it's similar. It is kind of similar, though. I wonder if this is the like track he used on the keyboard. Shane Foster, noted non-NBA player. This is called "Wanna Be a Baller," so oh, it might be. It's basically, basically the same. Thing. It's the same idea. We're gonna have to do some investigation. I uh, cue the song for me next time, and I'll listen to it during a break or something. Or heck, on my way home from the show. Anyway, okay. uh. Wanted to ask you about your debut article on Salt City Hoops, your projected minute rotation uh, for the Utah Jazz next season. Obviously, it's a very different story than last season because of all the different players that the Jazz have signed. And so with with all of the depth now with Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw, George Hill, where do you, how do you see this all uh, playing out? Who's getting the minutes on this roster and, and who's not? Yeah, so obviously having the depth that we have now is awesome. Uh, but it does provide a couple challenges when you're going through minutes. I mean, you've got 14 players, arguably, who are NBA minute uh, quality players. So in a league where I think most people are playing 10, 9, 11 people a game. So uh, I, I think it does, there's some issues with it. I think people are, don't realize that that someone's going to be left out as, as they go throughout this. Um, so I, I laid it out. I, I kind of looked at this. I, I think that George Hill's the starter. I, I know there's been a lot of talk about that. Where are you on that stance? Yeah, I think George Hill's definitely the starter. But uh, how many minutes Cameron Dante get is George Hill's question. Do you have him as getting 29 minutes and Dante Exum 20 minutes? 
Oh, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, George, you have George Hill is getting 29 minutes and Dante Axum getting 19 minutes. Yeah, I, I think it's actually 21, though, because Exum's getting a couple minutes at shooting guard, I okay. think. But, okay. but yeah, I, I think that, that Hill's going to get the majority to start the season. Uh, and maybe towards the end, Exum's getting more. And, and in, in the end, he'll, be av- he'll have averaged about 21 minutes throughout the season. I, I just think George Hill's played 30-plus minutes for so many years on uh, and starting for a playoff team and played 55 playoff games throughout that time. He's got so much experience that it just makes sense to have him as the starter and working with these players. I think the other benefit of that is having Exum come off the bench and playing off the bench gives him more opportunity to be part of the offense, hmm. whereas if he's coming in with Hood and Hayward, he's not going to see the ball very much. Uh, so he playing off the bench, he gets a little more opportunity to set up for people, facilitate, and, and have a part of the offense. Okay, so um, let's go through this really quickly then. So you've got yep. them at 29 and, and 21 for Exum. Hood uh, at 30 minutes per game. That's less than he had last season. Yeah, unfortunately, there's just more players at his position. There's there's better depth. Uh, I He's going to get a couple less minutes. I, if With the additions of Alec Burke and Joe, Joe Johnson, uh, it's just... It's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I and honestly, I think having players. I, I don't know where the Jazz stand on this. This is just my personal take. I think playing players fewer minutes and having them be around that thirty-minute mark is really good for the longevity of the season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've seen that strategy in forever. It seems like in Jazz history, with you know John Stockton, for example, going back a long ways. Uh, you've got Alec Burks playing twenty-one minutes a game behind Rodney Hood. That makes sense. And then you've got Gordon Hayward playing 33 minutes a game. Actually, even a couple minutes at the power forward spot, too. I think that that Quinn has wanted to play Hayward at the power forward spot to go small a mm-hmm. little. But last year, we had so many injuries at the, the wing positions that it really affected that and, and didn't allow them to do that. They needed him at the wing position more than they needed him at big. Uh, but this year, they and have quite the frankly, the the candidates for wings were just so bad, right? Like yeah. the Joe Johnson, Joe Ingles, even from the beginning of the season, the Jazz only were three deep at that spot. Exactly. So there just wasn't much of an opportunity for that to happen. But Hayward's a really strong forward, so I think we'll see some of that. Uh, but but he's he's prob- he's going to lead the team in minutes. He he had a ton of minutes this year. I just don't see that changing. He, he actually had the second most minutes played in the NBA last year. So... Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's something they really want to uh, reduce. I think they think that plantar fasciitis uh, issue we saw at the end of last season with Hayward that forced him to miss a couple of games was largely due to the load he had bo- had over the, the course of the first, uh, you know, five, five and a half months of the season. Joe Johnson, you have playing 21 minutes a game. That would be a big drop for him. Yep, uh- I actually got a lot of criticism for Joe Johnson. Hmm. There's a lot of people that think he's only going to play around 15 to 10 minutes a game. Uh, I don't think people realize that he played the 19th most minutes of any player in the NBA last year. Uh, so the Brooklyn Nets paid him a ton. Miami's going to play him a ton. Granted, he said that he wants a reduced role. He, he's talked about coming off the bench, and I, I think that he's going to have a lesser role, but I still think that the 21 minutes is about where it's going to be. Okay, and now let's let's look at the bigs. You've got Derek Favors playing 30 minutes a night, actually nearly evenly split between the power forward and center spot. Yep, I, it's just going to happen. I mean, if you look at the quality of the backup center, it's just 
there's not many, so that's what's going to happen with him. Okay, and then you've got Trey Lyles playing 20 backup power forward minutes. Yep, I think Lyles... Uh, Lyles is going to end up splitting some time with Diaw. Uh, it, it just all comes down to who develops better. If Diaw is willing to commit and practice and in practice and earn his minutes, then he'll probably steal some minutes from Lyles. And then you've got uh, at the center spot 30, 30 minutes for Rudy Gobert, 13 aforementioned minutes for Derek Favors, and then only five for Boris Diaw or Jeff Withy off the bench as well. I think it all comes down to a matchup and who's going to be playing what roles in that situation right Boris Diaw not a rim protector Jeff Withy is actually one of the better rim protectors in the league believe it or not off the bench yep uh I do want to ask there is a comment on your article that says awesome article this all feels incredibly accurate to me glad I came across it hope to read more stuff from this guy is that person related to you it says from John Smith I don't really believe that that's a real person (laughs) no that's that's a co-worker I I sent him the article and he and that that comment popped up and I was like, oh boy, Thanks I know better. I saw right through that. You don't have real fans, <laughs> or at least they yeah. they gotta they gotta be a little bit better than that. All right, yeah. we gotta take a break. On the other side, we're gonna talk about Olympic basketball team USA and the rest of the field. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN seven hundred. Yeah. Halloween, Taliban. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson here with you, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Usual co-host Zach Harper is out in L.A. doing stuff. We don't know actually what he's doing, and I never actually texted him like I said in, in the first hour. Oops, another lie to our audience. Um if if Shame. people yeah if we had uh like politifact keeping track of what the things i said it would be bad i would have like maybe not donald trump levels of lying but like i don't know pretty pretty bad politician amounts of pinocchio going on i can't anyway, imagine anything worse zach harper's gone so spencer wixom our latest salt city hoops contributor addition to the team has gratefully Grace, graciously and gracefully, all of those words, stepped in into Zach Harper's stead. Uh, as always, feel free to tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Jazz Jargon is Spencer's Twitter handle. Give Spencer a, a follow if you haven't already as well. He's a big part of the Jazz Twitter community and, and knows his stuff. That's why we brought him on board on Salt City Hoops. We're happy to have him. Uh or you can call us if you have any questions, 877-353-0700. Let's talk about the Olympic Games to this point. Obviously still in group stage of this tournament, uh, but it, it's been a very interesting one so far. Uh, let's talk about the U.S. first and then move on to kind of some of the other countries as well as the Jazz's players, get into the Olympic standings a little bit. Uh, Mello, Carmelo Anthony had to absolutely save the U.S., in their game against Australia. Just a 10-point win, and quite frankly, that flatters the U.S. a little bit. 98-88. to Melo ended up with 31 points, 9 three-point shots, 9 of 15 uh, from outside three-point land, 8 rebounds as well. Without Melo, I think the U.S. loses that to Australia. Yeah, I mean, you had Kyrie Irving with a couple big plays down the stretch. That's true. He had, had 19, 19 points. 19 points, but... But really beyond that, I mean, Kevin Durant had 14, and those were the only three in, in double figures, which seems really weird for this team. Right. I mean, when was the last game that that uh, 
Kyle Kyle Lowry or Jimmy Butler had where they would they went in double figures. Or yeah, or, I mean those I guys mean, had uh, Butler had zero he, points. He didn't make a shot. Yeah, Kyle Lowry was was two for six. I think the Oof. bigger surprise was who, who was missing the shots, and and in particular the new Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant, four for sixteen from the field. Uh, that's not great. Not and then, ideal. Uh, Clay Thompson, excuse me, sorry, it was two for nine, two for six from the three point line, zero for three from inside the arc, and and didn't do a whole lot else besides that. He looked pretty sketchy as well for Team US. Yeah, I mean, the only reason he's on the team is to hit shots, right? And that's that's why he's there. So, and yeah, I get was... why they played it, why Coach K played him as much as possible because it did seem like the US was lacking a lot of spacing, uh, especially early in the game when Australia was leading. So, you know, the antidote to that is one of the best shooters really in NBA history, Clay mm-hmm. Thompson. And he couldn't make anything. And so it ended up being Carmelo Anthony. And again, not a guy known for his outside shooting prowess, making nine threes. Yeah. Uh, I, just kind of looking at the box score of this game is pretty fascinating. First of all, Patty Mills played really well, uh, scored 30 points, 11 for 22 from the field. Andrew Bogut uh, kind of reminded everyone why he was a franchise player at one point. He scored 15 points, 7 for 9 from the field, played some excellent defense, three blocks, uh, kind of locked down the paint uh, against the U.S. But you look at, like, offensive rebounding, for example. The U.S. out-rebounded Australia 21-7 to 7 on the offensive glass, 21-8, to 8, excuse me, and still only won by 10. You look at the, the free throws, Usually the U.S. gets so many more free throws, and instead in this game they uh, shot the same numbers free th- of free throws as Australia, missed two more, so they were 13 for 18 from the line compared to Australia's 15 to 18. I don't think that this was that lucky for Australia. No, no, it really wasn't. It was, it was kind of an odd game though. Yeah, I I think Australia was so good at a uh, interior passing was a big deal. I think the the backdoor cuts were really big. Team USA is doing so much switching during this tournament, and rightfully so. Four out with a lot of kind of similarly sized guys. You can do some, uh, you know, if you've, you've got a pick and roll involving Carmelo Anthony, for example, you don't feel that bad putting him on a guard. But what Australia did to take advantage of that was did all these back, backdoor cuts towards the rim, and to their credit, Patty Mills and Matty Delavadova were finding those guys wide open under the rim. Delavadova especially ended up with 11 assists to go with his 11 points. And the U.S. team doesn't have that many rim protectors, if you look at the... DeAndre rim. Jordan, right? Yeah, you've got Jordan, but beyond that, I mean, you have Cousins. I don't necessarily consider him a, a great rim protector. Right. Uh, so I, I think that the team played to their strengths. It makes me kind of excited to see what Rudy Gobert can do to the, to the U.S. team. Yeah, I, I'm curious, because France has not done that well in this tournament so far. Uh they haven't played the U.S. They're playing them the 14th. So what is that, Sunday? Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that game goes. But in, in their first three games, they they did finish 2-1, and one, but they struggled a little bit against teams like Serbia and, and Australia, who they who should be should be beating by more. Yeah. No, I, 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 they, they've really struggled. It's been really interesting to watch them. They don't seem to be playing well as a team they don't seem dedicated on defense but uh i i want to see if rudy gobert can kind of recreate what andrew bogut was doing to the u.s team this is a fun stat by the way carmelo anthony is the all-time leading american scorer in the olympics would you have pegged that 
No, I wouldn't, but it makes, I mean, Olympic Mellow is so much more fun than NBA Mellow. Why? What is, why? In my opinion, I think it's because he doesn't, he's playing off ball a lot more than he does in the NBA. Except for it, he goes on these stretches where he's just scoring a ton of points, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But you're right. It, it, it's n- not right block defined like it is so frequently for him. Yeah. I guess it's that, that's his left block, excuse me. When, but. Who was the last great distributor Mello played with? Uh, hmm. That's a great question. I mean, he played with Iverson, but that's not he played with really... Chauncey Billups. Again, not a great distributor. Yeah. Uh, I... But, okay, this Team USA doesn't have a great distributor, though. Yeah, it's Kyle. You, you got me and there. Kyle Lowry. Yeah, you got me there. But but in his Olympics, where he's played with Chris Paul and Darren Williams and some of these other better distributors, I, he's played really well. I had someone ask me because of these Olympics, do you think that Carmelo Anthony's a Hall of Famer? I think he's a Hall of Famer, regardless. Honestly, okay. You've, everyone forgets that it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, yeah. And so you look at his contributions as a freshman at Syracuse. And then his kind of uh, the overall NBA career he'll have, which he probably won't win a title, uh, but he'll have put up a lot of points. And uh, then you look at his overwhelming international success, and I think you have to you have to include him. Yeah, I I think I think so. We get a question from Clint uh, Peterson. Uh, that I'm not going to read on air. <laughs> no, okay, I'll I'll read it now that I've I've read it. Ennis Cantor in Oklahoma City. Ennis Cantor Gulen. We'll talk about that in the around the NBA or Jeff Kassar for RSL. Um, I think Ennis Cantor lasts longer in Oklahoma City, but I'm not. I'm gonna hold off on my RSL takes. I'll be honest. I don't know anything about soccer. That's fine. So we can I, move on. Yeah. I'm just reading the questions and answering them to the best of my ability. Uh, any other American strengths and weaknesses you want to talk about? No, I mean, I I think that what struck me was was how much Australia was really playing as a team. They looked like they had been playing together for a long time. Yeah, and they really haven't. And and I didn't see that from the U.S. This is not the Australians' best team, by the way. I mean, Dante Exum obviously is staying here at home, and then you've also got uh, Ben Simmons staying at, at home as well. Yeah, they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, uh other storylines: Spain is struggling pretty badly. Uh. They they did end up pulling out their game today against Nigeria. That's worrying that that was a close one. They were down through three quarters in that one. They lost their first two games, though. And overall, they stand just fourth in Group B. They're tied, actually, with Brazil, who also have a one and two record. And that's going to be interesting to see which of those two teams qualifies for the, the bracket stage of this tournament. Remember, it's two groups, Group A and Group B. They have six teams each. The top four teams in each group make it into the, the bracket stage of, of the event. Which team do you think makes it in between the two? I mean, Spain's got more talent, right? But Brazil uh, has probably better. been playing a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. No, they really have. I mean, Neto's been good for them. He's he's played well for him, except for this most recent game. Yeah, uh, but where he put up a dud. But besides that, he's he's played really well for him. They've played. I don't know. I kind of like the way they've played. Couple fun things. First of all, uh, Raúl Neto's name on the FIBA website is Raúlzinho Neto. So make sure whenever you're talking about Raúl Neto in an Olympic context, just call him Raúlzinho. That's important. 
Uh, he's so far average for Brazil, 5.7 points per game, 1.3 rebounds per game, 1.3 assists per game, uh, 35% shooting from the field only in about 15 minutes a game. Not anything special. Uh, I think he's been really feisty defensively. I think he was a big part of their near comeback against Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, it's him or Marcelo Huertas is more, more of a toss-up than I thought it was last week. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. He he started out on fire, uh, and it was fun to watch. But but I still I still think it's exciting that we're at the point where people are arguing whether now Raul Neto should be the starter for that team. On the Spain versus Brazil thing, I just looked up their remaining schedule because I, I didn't have it in front of me. Spain plays Lithuania and Argentina in their remaining two games okay. uh, after beating Nigeria only by nine points today. Ouch. Brazil plays Argentina and then Nigeria. So they both have a game against Argentina, but Brazil plays Nigeria, whereas Spain plays Lithuania in a game they really could lose. Yeah. I I may go Brazil. Yeah. How crazy is that? That's not crazy. I mean, they're the home team, first of all. Yeah. Uh, I I like watching Brazil play more than I like watching Spain play at the moment. Maybe that's just the expectation game, right? But honestly... Brazil's been kind of fun to watch in defeat, at least in the second half of their game against Lithuania, for example, where they came back from a 30-point deficit in the fourth quarter to nearly to get it within four and then eventually lose. Yeah, so so what do you think the problem with Spain is? Is it just they're missing all the they're missing Gasol? Um let's see who else are they missing? They're missing Mark Gasol, not Pau Gasol. Yeah, sorry, Mark Gasol. Uh and then they're also Ibaka? Yeah, I don't believe they have Ibaka. Um, He's not there either. Let me. I don't so have the roster. It looks like Miritich, Rubio, Jose Calderon. Yeah, I mean it's Hernandez, fine. They, but honestly, I kind to of an me old it's, team. It's how right, but so is Argentina, and Argentina has yeah. been playing awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think. Uh, let me read these standings real quick. Group A: United States. United States lead the way, uh, first in Group A. Australia second, France third, both with matching two and one records. Though Australia has a better point differential. Serbia and Venezuela have one and two records. Congrats to Venezuela to beating China. Still probably not going to qualify. And China zero oh and three so far. Group B, Croatia uh, leads Group B with a two to one record. Argentina has only played two games, so they come in second, even though they've won both of those games and have a better point differential. The, the way it works is that you actually get credit for playing the game and then a second point for winning the game. So uh, we'll see what Argentina does against Lithuania. Uh, the third place team, also 2-0. and Spain and Brazil, like we said, are 1-2. and Nigeria, 0-3. Let's talk about the Jazz players so far uh, in this event. First of all, Boris Gio and Rudy Gobert for France. Uh, Rudy has probably played less and has been less impactful than... I think it was reasonable for fans to hope coming into the tournament. Yeah, I think people were really excited to watch him after he played so well in the last uh, Olympics and every or the last uh, World Tournament. Mm-hmm. But uh, he hasn't been that impactful. I I watched a couple of the games and he disappeared at times. Yeah. I mean, and I think part of it goes to that the team's just not focusing on defense, and that's what Rudy's good at. Right. If he's not playing defense, then there's really not much he's doing out there. I'll say this. He does have 3.3 blocks per game. So, like, he's yeah. he's picking that up. And, and, you know, that's always been kind of the signature of his game. But you would like to see more of an impact, uh, A, on the offensive end, and B, it seems like he, they're having a hard time playing him 
uh, because he hasn't been able to be impactful on the offensive end. France just has some weird spacing problems where Nick Batum is really the only guy who can shoot really consistently. Joffrey, Joffrey Laverne can a little bit, but he is not really counted from on the outside. And so you you get some spacing problems where like Rudy Gobert gets the ball at the top of the key and the defense can just reset at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Boris Diaw is playing a little bit better, actually. He's playing 27 minutes a game, 9 points per game, 6 rebounds a game, 5.3 assists per game. That's awesome to see from a big man. And he has 1.7 blocks per game, too. We'll call him Mini Rudy. He probably won't appreciate that. <laughs> I am probably very not. excited to call Boris Diaw Bobo, by the way, in a jazz oh, uniform. It's going to be so fun. Best nickname on the jazz? Uh, Howlzinho. <laughs> is no, Howlzinho, I mean, is that like, is that like Andrew to Andy? That's like Ronaldinho <laughs> to Ronaldo, right? Like, I don't know. It's, I it's, no it's, it's kind of, it's like little Andrew, right? That is what the Andy means. So, okay. if, you know, if you were in Brazil, you would be Spencerinho if you were a, a small person. You're, okay. not, you're a regularly sized person. I don't want to like attack your, your size on the air. Ugh. And Howlnetto is, uh, if you were the younger, I guess, is, is what mm-hmm. I should say. Okay. Um, good to know. Also, the Stifle Tower is probably the best nickname on the Jazz, okay, right? That, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so we're going with that. Yeah, that's great. And then you've got Bobo. Bobo's but, Bobo's solid, and I look forward to calling I've, him that all year. Uh, and Jingles as well. I've been really impressed with Diaz's defense, though. I mean, 1.7 blocks is not something I expected to see from him, mm-hmm. which makes it kind of encouraging knowing that Maybe he can play a couple more center minutes. I mean, he actually had a better PER playing center last year than he did power forward hmm. for the Spurs. Interesting. By, it was like 18 PR as center and 12 at power forward. So Cool. Uh, hey. And then the other guy, uh, Joe Ingles for Australia, scoring seven points a game, 2.7 rebounds per game, four assists per game, 41.2% shooting, and four for seven from the three-point line. I've really enjoyed watching Ingles. I mean, he hasn't done a ton on the court, but if you watch him, he seems to be one of the heart and soul of that that team. Those those Aussie, his teammates really love him, and they really get behind him, which is great to see because you see that a lot when he plays with the Jazz. The team loves him, uh, but it's kind of fun to see that just wherever he goes, people are really drawn to him, and, and he, he really lights a fire under people. I saw one play where they... They call the timeout. He basically de- he dictated the entire timeout and was the guy leading it. So it was hmm. kind of exciting to see him. Isn't it, he was like calling the plays and stuff. He he was sitting there telling him. I mean, he's the guy hyping everyone up. Uh, he wasn't necessarily calling the plays, but he he was telling him, "Good job on this. Good job on that." And it, it was just kind of fun to see uh, him taking the the lead there. My other favorite thing uh, about the Olympics, and this is also just my favorite thing about small sample size theater, is looking at the statistics in the Olympics and pretending like these are the very best players in the entire world. So, for example, if you rank the players right now by points per game, who guess who has the most points per game in the Olympics uh, through three games? Mello? Patty Mills. Oh, boy. Best player in the world, Patty Mills. Number two. Uh. You're not, you're not going to get it. So it's Bojan Bogdanovic for Croatia. Second best score in the world, notably. The one that plays with the Nets, right? Uh, yeah, sorry. Wait. <laughs> I, get, I, I get confused. We always get the, the Bogdanovics confused. <laughs> uh, Bojan Bogdanovic is the Croatian one, and yes, he does play for the Nets. Okay. Bogdan Bogdanovic is the one who was drafted by the Phoenix Suns. So right? How many points is. Let's see. I'm, he's averaging 24.7 points, huh? 
Yeah, right? I mean, he scored 30 today against uh, whoever it was they played today. Who are they? Sorry, who is Croatia playing today? Oh, Brazil, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. that's, that's pretty good. Uh, third, Eugene Le- Leon, former NBA player who did not do well. Fourth, Luis Scola. <laughs> I mean, it's just like... never quits. <laughs> kind of good players, but Kevin Durant is all the way down there in eighth. Melo is all the way down there in tenth. Uh, it's just all these NBA scorers that you know and love are losing out on the charts to guys like Leandro Barbosa, Facundo Campazzo, uh, Mantas Kalinietis for Lithuania, right? Like, <laughs> and the immortal Patty Mills and Bojan Bogdanovic. I just, I just love how fun that is. Wow. Any other Olympic thoughts? You got Nando Decolo leading France in scoring. Hey, you know, don't stop the Decolo. I would like to see Decolo come back to the to the U.S. By the way, yeah, I I don't hate the idea. I I didn't hate his stretch. He, he played well with the Spurs, so yeah. No, I, I currently playing for Cheska Moscow. Just looked it up. He's he is twenty nine years old, but he, anyway, he probably went there making more money. He might be able to make more now, though. That I, everyone NBA, gets yeah. to play more or make more money. Exactly. All right, we got to take a break. Also, the pizza arrived here at the Woo-hoo! studio, so we're gonna eat that. Uh, take a break, and then coming up next, we're going around the NBA, all the latest news and notes from the association. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. We're scanning the league from coast to coast. This is Around the NBA on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoop Show, back into the show. Andy Larson, Spencer Wixom filling in for Zach Harper. Going around the NBA as we do about this time every week. Not a whole lot to talk about. The NBA's biggest stars are in Rio, or some of them anyway are in Rio. Some of them are signing new contracts. LeBron James just signed a three-years, $100 million contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. No word yet on option years that I've seen. I'm, I would bet that uh, at least that last year is an yeah. option year. But I'll tell you what, it does make him the highest play, paid player in the league. He'll be making $31 million next season. It's actually the highest in a single season. Ever? Or Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So so I know, uh, did, did Kobe Bryant ever get to, yeah, Kobe Bryant got to $30 million a year in 2014. This is, isn't this 33? And, uh, okay, so on an average value. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, Sorry, gotcha. average value. No, that makes sense. And then Michael Jordan was at $30 million in 97 and 98. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, in terms of average annual value, I do believe that this will be the most made per year. It also does mean that I can stop responding to uh, people <laughs> complaining that uh, Mike Conley is the highest paid, paid player in the league, which he was until this thing was signed. Yeah, uh, I hated those complaints. It's just so taken out of context. Look, like, okay, first of all, Mike Conley, does, it doesn't, I don't know if he deserves what he gets. It's hard to say that, like, LeBron deserves $30 million when, like, ex-scientist who's saving the world gets only $10,000 yeah. a year or whatever, making up salaries. I don't know what scientists make. <laughs> uh, probably more than minimum wage, but who knows? Hopefully. Uh, that being said... Given the market, given the way the CBA mates works, Mike Conley's salary is not crazy. Now, when you compare it to LeBron James' salary in a, in a world with a maximum salary cap and a maximum salary per player, then, uh, you know, it, it looks funny, but it's not really funny. 
No, it's not. Are you excited to see LeBron James in a Cavs uniform moving forward? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> enthusiasm. You have, you enthusiasm, have, no, right? you have no preference. No, I really don't. I'll be honest. I've never been as big of a LeBron James fan as a lot of people. Really? I've always, I've always kind of rooted against him in a lot of ways. So. Why is that? His, his attitude bugs me. I, he just comes off wrong to me. And so I, I, I don't hate him. I, I just, and I was glad he got, when he got his first championship with the Heat, I think he deserved it and I wanted him to get it. And I actually found myself kind of rooting for him to get one this year as, as the underdog. And and I tend to pull for the underdog a lot of times when I have no no personal gain in any, in the match. And so okay. I, I think I'm kind of rooting for him this year, actually, to go against the, the Warriors. But Really? You're but, you're rooting for him versus the Warriors? Yeah, just because I like seeing the underdog. I, I, okay. I think it's fun to see these the super teams and, and the teams that shouldn't fail get beat. So... Cool. Um, no, I, I think that's that's fair. I, I, LeBron, like the Cavs are so close to a super team, right? Yeah. But, admittedly, I guess they traded players for the most part, except for they signed LeBron James. I don't know. Is, is yeah, it yeah, really yeah. any better? I no. I, I'm. I like. I'm. I might be rooting for the Warriors this season because I like the style of basketball they play more than more than the Cavs. Oh, it's going to be way more fun to watch. That's for sure. Team USA watched Michael Phelps and the rest of Team USA swim Tuesday afternoon uh, and got some selfies with Kevin Durant and others. Check those out on Twitter. Uh, have you seen any of those? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, I was watching the, the races when they happened and they kept flashing over to the Olympic team. And it was actually really cool to see those guys rooting together and, yeah. and standing together as a team. And uh, it, it it made me think of how awesome those swimmers must feel to see those superstars sitting there cheering for them. Uh, so this is kind really of a fun. crazy story from Oklahoma city regarding former jazz man, Ennis Cantor. Uh, basically the, the upshot of it is he's been disowned by his family. Um, his father wrote a handwritten letter that was published by a Turkish media service um, that is supportive of the Turkish, what is it, prime minister? It's yeah. president, I guess, Recep mm-hmm. Erdogan. Uh, and Anis Kanter has been pretty anti-Erdogan, and he's pro uh, this Fethullah Gulen guy who actually lives in Pennsylvania, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Erdogan b- blames Gulen for the coup that happened uh, July 15th. It's not actually clear that Gulen and his supporters or uh, had anything to do with the coup or financially backed it. That's what Erdogan says. Uh, I don't know that that actually is true, right? Like that, it's also yeah. kind of politically expedient, expedient for him to be saying that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Ennis Cantor's parents disowned Ennis Cantor. Ennis then went on Twitter and said, basically, I'm going to be fine. I still choose for what I fight for. I'm I'm a Gulenist, he said. And he actually changed his last name or it said that he wants to be called Ennis Gulen from here on out. I'm interested to see if that translates to his jersey, if he's going to be Gulen, if it's going to be yeah. Gulen on the uh, his jersey this coming year. Right, cuz it's it's also kind uh, of a political statement, right? Like if Very much. Uh I mean, obviously it's a political statement, but does the NBA allow you to change your last name in in a political way? I I guess I don't know. It's Ron Artest. Ron Artest did it with World Peace, right? That's political. <laughs> 
but no one's really like against world peace. Nothing controversial like this. Right. I mean, it's it's a really interesting story. I mean, I feel bad for Cantor being disowned by his family. I, I've, I, I was upset with Cantor and the way he handled things here in Utah, obviously. But I, I no one deserves to be disowned by their family. Uh, but I mean, I know his family. His dad's kind of a well-respected professor and everything, and mm-hmm. just uh, he probably felt a lot of political pressure as well with his son supporting someone that's that's seemingly against the the country that he lives in and supports. So it's it's a really messy situation. It, it it's kind of interesting. I mean, if you read some of these articles, Cantor's really spent a lot of money and backed this Gulen guy. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes moving forward. But I I, I do feel bad for the guy. Yeah, his letter said, Today I lost those for who I called for 21, 24 years. I called my family. My own father wanted me to change my surname. My mother, who gave birth to me, rejected me. That's that's harsh. I, I, I really enjoyed I, every minute that I've interacted with Ennis Cantor as him as a jazz man. I don't think like he's a positive on-the-court player, but that doesn't really matter when yeah. you're talking about like these bigger issues for a 24-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I, I I gotta say I wish the best for Ennis Cantor. It is possible, by the way, that his parents are making this public statement, but may not. It may be a show, so that they aren't uh-huh. sent to jail for having a son who supports uh, Erdogan's enemy. Yeah. I, it's not at all clear that that's the case. They may actually be writing what they feel, but it's it's a very messy situation. Yeah, it does seem like a a young kid is. Is caught up in a lot more than than he can probably. I mean, he just, he bit off a lot more than he could chew by just associating with someone. So, by the way, if there are any like really good Turkish uh, fans who speak English well and and know the situation, but Turkish bas- basketball fans, hit me up because I'd be curious to hear like oh yeah more of the story than maybe what's been reported because it's you know it's it's hard for us to read in Turkish and try kind of like Google Translate and figure out what's actually going on. We're doing the best we can. Uh, but you know we're not we're not Turkish ex- experts, so let us know. Yeah. Uh, Zach Lowe's Manu Ginobili story today was really really good. Check that out on ESPN.com. Basically, this is the Argentina's golden generation, right? And everyone mm-hmm. kind of assumed that the London 2012 Olympics would be their last go around, and it, it's turned out that in 2016 they're still playing really excellently. And, and because they've been playing together for so long, I mean, guys like Prigioni, who's actually not on this team, uh, or Andres Nocioni, you've got Luis Scola playing well. Uh, all these guys have kind of come together to be more than the sum of their 36-year-old parts. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Zach Lowe's story on this was really great. A couple of little anecdotes that I want to share. Um, first of all, there's a quote from Dennis Lindsay. Uh, let me pull that up it, it says he plays between dribbles the creative creativity is mind-boggling uh one of the reasons that the spurs loved manu ginobili um in san antonio and everything else a couple of fun stories too first of all i from a math point of view i love this one he was told by an argentinian professor that if you have a room do you know the birthday thing that if you have a certain number of people in a room, what are the odds that at least 50... What, How many people in the room do you need until there's a 50% chance that someone in the room has the same birthday as somebody else? Okay. Uh, no, I don't. It's a lot. It, it, you would think, because there are 365 birthdays, you'd think you need like 180 people, but it turns out you only need 23 people because oh. that's how math works. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
when Manu was told this, he was surprised, and now he checks every single game, the roster sheet, which has the birthday of every single player, to see if anybody in the game has the same birthday as anybody else. Because, you know, there are like 30 players on, on the team, and he's probably wow. pleasantly surprised every game. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, telling stories about the dinners that the Argentina team had together and, and San Antonio as well, after both successes and failures. It's a really good article by Zach Lowe, really well-researched. Um, clearly talked to guys like Dennis and, and uh, even Greg Popovich, Manu's Argentinian teammates, etc. My, my favorite part was actually the stories about Manu practicing as a kid. Hmm. Uh, they made these little devices for him when he was like four where there's gloves that, that only had the fingertips cut off, so he had to be learning to dribble with his fingers. Yeah. He had these special glasses. When he was four, so he by the way. See. Was it four or five when he had these uh, gloves? Like super young to be really young. doing weird dribblings. Yeah, I mean, he had these glasses that made it so he can't see the ball when he dribbles, and he would be dribbling around the, the dinner table. And I mean, it was really cool to to He's the son of a basketball coach. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it makes you remember how hard these players have to work to get to where they are. Right. Uh, this is kind of a cool story. Michael Jordan donated $5 million in a game-worn 1996 NBA Finals jersey to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. That's a big donation check. That's huge. I'm a big fan of Michael Jordan. Kind of, He's been doing a lot more with philanthropy recently, and it's kind of cool to see him as he's gotten older, now in his 50s, uh, kind of contributing to the social conversation uh, from his spot as an NBA owner and obviously the NBA's all-time greatest player ever. Yeah, he's making a lot of statements with his actions, and I, I really like it. I mean, there's so many people that respect him and and look up to him, and I think that he's really trying to to earn that respect even more. And it's been really cool to see because, um, I mean, I think you're about the same age as me, and we grew up in the time where Michael Jordan was almost a god to, to all these people. And so to see him him speaking out and doing these things that he didn't necessarily do as a player is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we'll, we'll leave on this sour note, but John Saunders, uh, longtime familiar face of ESPN, nearly 30 years actually, died at the age of 61 this week. Uh, just a bummer. Uh, clearly a, a class act. Was one of my favorite sports center anchors and and. Uh, sports reporters, anchors. Uh, he was on that show called The Sports Reporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not exactly clear what the cause of death was, what it was at this point. His wife found him not breathing in the morning, but we don't know why pending autopsy results. But uh, it was a, a treat to watch for a long time, and, and he's he'll be missed. Absolutely. He was he was great to watch. One of the one of the main first people there that really helped create SportsCenter. So he, he really is going to be missed and prayers go out to his family yep all right we got to take a break on the other side we'll have i think we've got a crazy trade idea coming up in our final segment of the show that's next on the salt city hoop show espn 700 the home of the best utah jazz and nba breakdown is right here this is salt city hoops on utah's number one sports talk espn 700 the masha k i like it i'm gonna let it play for a second do you remember these commercials by the way no these are so this is masha kirilenko andrea kirilenko's wife uh you'll probably remember it when we get to the chorus but she had that boutique here in Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. I've 
fleur de lis or whatever it was called. And then there was just like her basically existing as a human being in her store, occasionally with jazz players and, and her husband coming in and just touching the goods in the store in a very like floaty sort of commercial. Um, and with this song as, as the soundtrack. So uh, this is The Sky is Falling by Masha Karolinko. I didn't know she did songs in English. Yep, she does. She's a, apparently a Russian pop star is what everyone said when uh-huh. Andre Karolinko came over. I don't know if I buy it because I haven't actually been able to like Google her and see Russian pop songs. So I, I don't I don't really know the true situation. At least she did produce this song, so we'll we'll give her credit for that. Anyway, this is the the final segment of the Salt City Hoop Show today, and uh, we're gonna do a crazy trade idea because we haven't done one in a while. Oh, okay, we're gonna do a lot of crazy trade ideas in August. In in August, uh, I'm not <laughs> suggesting these trades are actually gonna happen, but okay. I've been I've been reading the message boards again. I I'm addicted. I can't help it. And fans can't help but notice that the Jazz have four point guards. Yep. Uh, definitely George Hill, definitely Dante Exum, definitely Shelvin Mack, and Raul Neto. Raul Neto, uh, which is probably too many point guards for a team to have. You could maybe take that strength and turn it into a, a strength elsewhere. Although, maybe you could say that since that's also maybe the Jazz's weakest top line position, uh, depending on how you feel about like George Hill versus like Rodney Hood. I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh you may want that depth. But anyway, or Dante Exum's recovery, quite frankly. But anyway, people around the league are, are looking for Shelvin Mack in particular. Kind of impressed at how he did as a starting point guard for the for the Jazz last year. Kind of see him as, as a good two uh, backup. Yeah. Backup, sorry. Point guard. Second point guard is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And so have a whole bunch of different trade options for him. So we'll, we'll start with those. One, Jazz fan 1971 suggests Shelvin Mack for Carl Landry. Um, I don't love it because I think we've already got enough people playing power forward. I think if we're going for a big, I, I would prefer to see one that's that's more of a center. Okay, but, but yeah, that's just me. I I don't think he, I don't think he moves the the needle at all. Yeah, I I don't really think so either. I don't know that Shelvin Mack moves the deal that much over Howell Nutto, but uh, yeah. honestly, Carl Landry's salary is more, and I don't know that I don't see a reason for the Jazz to take it on, uh, for. Really, any reason at all? Because he's going to be your sixth big man. Really, I, like I yeah. don't think he's better than Jeff Withy. All right, closing the tab. Sorry, Jazz fan, nineteen seventy one. Actually, like your work on Real GM, but anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Backhanded compliment. But... Well, no, I. I <laughs> it's not his fault that he's on posting on message boards. I'm posting on <laughs> message boards for crying out loud. Uh, ben Macklemore of the Kings for Shelvin Mack. B Mac for S Mac. Okay, I just don't see... I've seen a lot of Ben McLemore trades. I don't see the Kings giving him up for that price. Really? I I think they're going to want more. I do, because uh, he's not a good player. This no. is what I come down to. I think Shelvin Mack is probably a better player. It's just kind of whether or not you think Ben McLemore will ever be something. Uh, he's a free agent next year. So is Shelvin Mack. So he'd be your third string shooting guard. It's kind of like, do you want a third string point guard or a third string shooting guard at this point? I think you can make the case that you might need a shooting guard more, depending on how you feel about Alec Burks's injury susceptibility and Rodney Hood's for that matter. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Ben McLemore, he's, I I just think he's pretty bad. No, I I don't see. I think the only reason you do it is if you think he's going to develop into something he hasn't been already. 
Which, hey, he could, but I, I'm with you. I don't see it. I He just hasn't impressed me. He was billed as some great shooter. I haven't seen him as a great shooter. I haven't seen him as a great defender. I haven't really seen much that I like. Here's one Kings fan, again, from the message boards. Okay. Saying, basically, I don't think McLemore develops into anything. His ball handling is not good. His defense has been disappointing, given what he showed flashes of under Malone. And I don't think he can create his own shot. Uh, I understand shooting is at a premium in the NBA right now, but I don't think McLemore is shooting good at anything but shooting open shots. Yeah. I'm, uh, he's not even that great at that. I like Exactly. And his, and he's right. His ball handling's terrible. Yeah. All right. Closing that tab. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We've got, oh, here's a fun one. Uh, Jeff Withy for Jonas Jerebko and the Wolves' 2017 second-round pick. Okay. Uh, the Celtics I, get Dreb, uh, trade Jerebko and James Young and the Wolves' 2017 pick, which they own, for Jeff Withy and Aaron Baines, who they get from the Pistons for James Young and their 2019 second-round pick. Uh, I don't know that the Pistons do that part of the deal, but yeah. whatever. The withy for Drebko part, I think about, actually. The Jazz, quick side note, were pretty interested in signing Jonas Drebko last season when he was a free agent. I actually really liked him. He was always on the top of my list as far as free agents. I I thought he would come at a reasonable price. He's a pretty good shooter, decent defender. He just kind of does everything pretty well. Uh, So I, I like him. I think that that makes some sense. My only concern is I think that if you do that, then we're... Really missing a backup center. Right. You'd have to believe in Fleiss. Yeah, and you have to believe in needing shooting a lot, right? Like, because if Rudy Gobert goes down, you have no... I I guess you have Derek Favors as your rim protector. That's okay. I kind of like Jarebko as a fit. Yeah. Um, No, I love him as a fit. I just don't love him for Withy. Well, how are you getting Jarebko, then? (sighs) Probably not. (laughs) Right, and and maybe... I, I, I consider that deal... Yeah. I, yeah, uh, Drebko's got a longer deal too than Jeff Withy's unguaranteed contract, which is very nice. It's at the minimum, but it's not. It doesn't go beyond this year. I would do it if you could find a better backup center than Plice. Uh, Ballin boy, kind of. I mean, yeah. Uh, I yeah, I don't know who who you'd have to, to go through the D League or or a small second round pick for something. But I I don't know. I just. I get worried about the backup center position because if you lose Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, all of a sudden you're expecting one of them to play big minutes. And right. and and I really think that the Jazz need to be careful about playing big players big minutes this year because of the injury issues we've seen. Plus, this year should be longer than last year because of the, the playoffs. Right. So. I'm, I'm really curious to see how this rotation sh- uh, kind of turns out, whether it's uh, – if especially with the old guys, right? Like yeah. whether Joe Johnson, Boris Diaw uh, – play as well as they did last season. Mm-hmm. And then whether or not Trey Lyles actually plays defense this year. Yeah. Because he he was very bad last year by nearly every metric. Yeah, he was terrible at defense. And he's got to show that he can play defense, like you said. Uh, but at the same time, I think like with Diaw, he has to show that he's willing to commit to to really push for minutes and, and practice. Because I think that Quinn's one of those guys who, who will make some decisions off of practice. This one's really similar, but it's kind of the same idea. Uh, Jeff Withy for Kelly Olynyk in the Wolves' 2017 second-round pick. Basically, it's the same thing. It's just Olynyk versus uh, Drebko, well, and you got to think Drebko's got a got more uh, or less trade value. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I'd, I'd do that one. I mean, at least Olynyk's a little taller. I mean, I, I don't know. 
I, I like Linux. I know the Jazz like Linux a lot. I've heard that from multiple people, and, mm-hmm. and I think that that would make a lot more sense. I just don't necessarily see why they would do that. Yeah. Unless they feel like they need a better rim protector, but they just got a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of remove some redundancy, right? Like Drebko and, and Linux do a lot of the same things. Yeah, and that may make a lot of sense. So I just Olenek I, is secretly, by the way, uh, been a good defensive player in Boston. Yeah, yeah, he has. I mean, I would do it, but I just don't see Boston necessarily doing that. I think they could get. I think you're maybe it makes sense if you're just looking at the two teams, but you're eliminating the other twenty eight that, that'll make offers. All right, here's the craziest trade idea of the week that we're gonna spend like one minute on. Oh, Celtics Kings Jazz. It's proposed by a Celtics fan. You've got DeMarcus Cousins and Gordon Hayward going to the Celtics. Oh, boy. Uh, the Jazz are getting Rudy Gay, Jonas Jarebko, and the 2017 Brooklyn first-round pick. So that's, that's nice. The Kings Ugh. get uh, Amir Johnson, Marcus Smart, the rights to Brown, Yabusele, the 2018 Brooklyn first, the Memphis first-round pick, the Clippers first-round pick. Uh, so they get what? That's three firsts and <laughs> this year's first and uh, Amir Johnson and Marcus Smart, basically? Yeah. For that's not a bad haul for that DeMarcus Cousins. For that's like 10 I, dimes for a dollar kind of trade, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but the Jazz probably get the best asset in the 2017 Brooklyn first round pick other than Gordon Hayward and DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, I, I still I would rather have Gordon Hayward than that pick, though. Yeah, it, it, again, it all comes down to whether or not you believe Gordon Hayward staying. I think like right now, there's probably a 65 percent chance, but it all turns out it depends on what the Jazz do this year. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that still are catching on to this whole jazz or looking to trade Hayward that was circling around. And yeah, I they're just, not looking to trade him. It's terrible. Uh, but if you blew their socks off with something that would make their future better, I think they consider it. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the Salt City Hoops show. As always, you can read more Salt City Hoops content on saltcityhoops.com. Uh, and the show is also available to subscribe to as iTunes, uh, as an iTunes podcast or on Stitcher if you missed any of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Andy Larson, Spencer Wixom signing out on ESPN 700. ESPN 700 Dream Job. It's down to its final.